It's not a one country thing, it's an African agenda. This is African Insights with Derek Mazarura. We embody comprehensive assessments of infrastructure projects on the African continent and all issues related to African development, inclusive landmark impulsions for Africa. Welcome to African Insights with Derek Mazarura. Today's show is Climate Change and Adaptation in Africa Part 2, the sequel to last week's program. The issue comes in the wake of joint efforts between the African Development Bank and Global Center on Adaptation to galvanize climate change adaptation by injecting 25 billion US dollars to the momentous African cause. Such commitments in full depend on a wide array of indicators whose ascertainment must be done with painstakingness. To what end? For African economies and the African child. On the show today, we are joined by Lillian Boyer, a certified public accountant and co-founder and executive director at the Regional Institute of Information and Knowledge Management. Ricky Spaniel, the CEO of the Camelina Oil Company. Carol Snyman, a transport energy expert. And last but not the least, Jess Kanovich, a senior professional officer at Local Governments for Sustainability, Ecle Africa, in the climate change energy and resilience work stream ladies and gentlemen welcome to the show thank you once again uh, i'm glad to be part of the show being able to go through infrastructure projects in africa and moving the same to the next level thank you very much derek uh, thanks for having me back on your show and uh, good day to your listeners thank you and hello to you and your listeners i am really happy to be on the show talking about climate change and adaptation, but we also need to try and think about how can we prevent further damage. So thanks so much for having me um, on the show. My name is Jess Kavanick, and I work for an organization called ICLE Local Governments for Sustainability. Our core mandate is to support um, local governments or cities, city municipalities with sustainable agenda. So that's things like um, service delivery in uh, ever-changing world thank you for that jess you can get us started your understanding of climate change and why you think climate adaptation initiatives are of paramount importance in africa particularly during the covid 19 period and also drawing on your experience with eclay africa what climate adaptation programs are you aware of in Africa and to what extent are such beneficial to food and water security? Um, It is expected that by the year 2050, over 70% of the world will be living in urban areas, in cities. This is putting a huge burden on city officials and decision makers to be able to adequately deal with the huge amount of changes that are coming. And this mm-hmm. change in, in urban areas is even expected to be um, higher than that percentage in African cities. So the time now 
uh, really is to prepare decision makers to deal with this change. One such change which kind of complicates this, the massive urbanization and the massive migration to cities is climate change. So what is climate change? Climate change is due to increased urbanization, increased industrialization, and there are greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, which is causing a shift in weather and, and seasonal uh, patterns. These things can result in things like higher flooding, higher droughts, and um, of course, a, a greater spread of diseases, which is very, very relevant at the moment, and um, particularly under the global pandemic, where under a changed climate, we may be seeing more and more of these. For example, in African cities, it's expected the malaria belt will actually move further south. So more cities, more people will be exposed to malaria. So that's just one example of, of the changes that are coming in these urban spaces. Mm-hmm. So how Italy Africa is is dealing with these changes and preparing our, our urban cities is to um, not only have advocacy, so to really make the, the voice of cities, the, the real what's happening on the ground and um, being taken into an international level. So really trying to get the voice of cities at, the, at that international platform. We also have a range of local par- projects that we implement across the continent. So one f- such example is uh, called the Urban Natural Assets for Africa program. Now this program is really about trying to protect the urban natural asset base in cities. With rapid urbanization, there's incredible land use change. So we are losing our forests, our wetlands, our river systems, the very thing that cities actually developed on for the resources that those natural spaces provided. And we're losing them. And without those green spaces, without those natural buffer zones, your cities are at much more prone to shocks and changes such as global pandemics, such as climates. So the cities really need to adapt. And one way to adapt is to bring greenery or green spaces back in and really protect those those buffer zones, which really gives services to cities for free. So this program, UNA, or Urban Natural Assets for Africa, is doing exactly that, working in eight cities across sub-Saharan Africa to really mm-hmm. protect their natural asset base. Another project that we have is called Fractal, or Future Resilience for African Cities and Lands. And this project is really about trying to increase the knowledge and data around climate change. So give city officials the data that they need to be able to make better informed decisions. And part of that is to bring people together to co-design and co-produce information. So we're looking at a diverse range of stakeholders, community members, city officials, academics, private sector, industry, to come together to really co-produce solutions to around climate change based on the the advanced climate data that's being produced under this project. And it's a wonderful project, um, which is also working in nine African cities. The third project, or rather global initiative, is called COMSA, or um, the Compact of Mayors program. And this is really, again, helping um, African cities and actually uh, cities all over the world to become compact compliant, which is really about developing climate change action and strategy plans so that that uh, climate action can be taken seriously at a local level. And city officials have a roadmap of sorts that guides them to really mainstream and integrate climate considerations into decision making. Thank you for that. Lillian, a different opinion perhaps? There are quite a number of uh, climate adaptation programs in Africa. And, uh, for example, we have the African Ministerial Conference on the Environment that was established back in December 1985. This was following a conference of African Ministers of uh, Environment held in Cairo, Egypt. 
and its mandate is to provide advocacy for environmental protection in Africa to ensure that basic human in, uh, human needs are met adequately and in a sustainable manner, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, settling uh, the seal that social and economic development is realized at all levels, as well as ensuring that agricultural activities are uh, and practices meet the food security needs of the region. There is the ecosystem-based adaptation for food security, which is another resilience uh, strengthening project currently ongoing in the Zambezi River Basin. Specifically, this is for Malawi, Zambia, and uh, Mozambique. This is uh, the African Rift Geothermal Development Facility, which uh, mm-hmm. whose activity is to promote technology and uh, reduce exploration risk. With all these and many other climate adaptation programs, there will still there still exists a stubborn implementation gap, and there is a big disconnect between what's on paper and what's carried out in practice. Carol, with infrastructure being a huge determinant, also against the backlog of struggles to cover the infrastructural gap across Africa. Is a green recovery possible in Africa during the world crisis? What kind of infrastructure can climate adaptation initiatives integrate for capacity building? Of course, a green recovery is possible, and especially in times when we are experiencing crises. I don't believe the crises are going to go away. We will have the one after the other as the world gets older and it gets a, a, a place to live in that is more corrupt than it was yesterday, uh, more uh, environmental uh, crises that we face, too much rain, too much sun, whatever the case may be, these things are not going to go away. Even even the pests and, and viruses and things that we experience today, these are not mm-hmm. going to go away. There will be others coming, following on these ones. So. These things tend to motivate people, not just to be negative and, and, and sit in a corner and, and cry, but to get up and do something about it. Because if we do the changes properly, then at least we will have a better life until the end of this world. Ricky? A green recovery uh, is definitely possible. In order to sustain Africa's growth and to speed up efforts to end extreme poverty, investment in Climate-resilient infrastructure is fundamental. The COVID-19 pandemic has only amplified calls for infrastructure to be more resilient and adaptable so that it can effectively operate during moments of crisis. Yes. The defining characteristic of climate-resilient infrastructure is that it is planned, designed, built, and operated in a way that anticipates prepares for and adapts to changing climate conditions. It can also withstand, respond to and recover rapidly from disruptions caused by these adverse climate conditions. Structural adaptation measures include changing the composition of road surfaces so that they do not deform in high temperatures the building of seawalls, uh, yeah, you know, to fortify coastal offshore and flood-prone uh, infrastructure against flooding, uh, to increase cooling system capacity for solar 
energy uh, and to locate uh, new facilities outside the high-risk zones mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, raising the height of bridges to account for sea level rise and uh, ecosystem-based approaches using natural infrastructure to design adaptation measures are also key alternatives to be considered alongside structural um, adaptation measures. Lillian, contrary to the significance of transport infrastructure for economic growth, why is non-proliferation of fossil fuels and decarbonization of the global transport sector critical to reduce global warming? What aspects of green utilities assure an increase in employment levels should coal, oil and gas plants be phased out in Africa for climate neutrality? Generally, reducing emissions from transport will be essential in the race against climate change because a quarter of global energy-related greenhouse gas emissions come from transport due to the high amount of fossil fuel consumption across the sector. Actually, this, uh, this could grow to a third by 2050 if nothing is done. Each component of the transportation system has unique challenges to, to reducing emissions. And one common issue that is decarbonizing transportation requires consumer adoption. Decarbonizing the transportation sector requires decisions from individuals, from fleet owners, shipping companies, and so on and so forth. And this requires convincing stakeholders to make different purchasing and behavioral decisions. Mm-hmm. In personal transportation alone, there are over 1.3 billion cars on the road around the world. And just dealing with emissions from cars will require replacing virtually all of these with zero emission vehicles. Yeah, or rather encouraging passengers to travel via other modes of transport. And this does not begin to address the other segments of the transportation sector, such as aviation and marine shipping and travel, for which there are not yet viable solutions at scale. Carol? Getting rid of fossil fuels is the first thing that we should be doing. It is, none that takes, <clears throat> it is of course, going to take some time. We have developed a big dependence on fossil fuels that we burn, but that is a bad thing. We should stop burning fossil fuels. We have enough energy, renewable energies, in other ways to to power the whole world and also our mobility. Mm-hmm. If you utilize the sun's energy, for instance, you'll find that it's easy to drive electric using sunshine and easy to power your house or businesses or industry or whatever with sun, with solar energy. Ricky? Look, Derek, um, the transportation sector is a large and diverse sector that uh, encompasses road, aviation, rail, and marine transport. So transportation includes both the movement of passengers and the movement of goods. In 2018 alone, the global transportation sector emitted approximately 8 billion tons of carbon dioxide or 24% of CO2 emissions from fuel combustion. So transportation is the second largest source of CO2 emissions worldwide and the major contributor uh, to global warming. Um, Fossil fuel 
Non-Proliferation mm-hmm. Treaty, FNPT could help to keep large volumes of fossil fuels in the ground uh, and effectively and fairly, you know, with the aim of aligning uh, fossil fuel use with the Paris Agreement's uh, 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius warming uh, threshold. Um, the growth of wind and solar power has huge potential uh, to increase uh, employment levels and uh, fossil fuels like coal, oil and gas should gradually be phased out uh, you know, to ensure uh, an effective energy transition. Lillian? The world over, I think evidence is growing that greening brings about multiple, uh, multiple benefits. They provide some of the most effective means of achieving a range of uh, global goals, such as addressing climate change, creating sustainable and thriving communities, and of course, driving economic growth. Advancing towards a green economy creates employment at the global level, and uh, it entails a reallocation of employment across industries, requiring policies to ensure that transition is just for all. Mm -hmm. So fully measuring the green economy using national statistics and... uh, or company surveys may be a very difficult task, frequently requiring additional surveys and research or alternative data collection methods. Moreover, without a shared definition of its boundaries, the green economy cannot be identified via standard industry classifications. Yeah, the pace of green job creation is likely to accelerate in the years ahead, and uh, a global transition to a low-carbon and sustainable economy can create large numbers of green jobs across many sectors of the economy and indeed can become an engine an engine for development. In terms of employment levels and from a broad uh, conceptual perspective, I think employment will be affected in at least four ways mm-hmm. as the economy is oriented towards greater sustainability. First, in some cases, additional jobs will be created as uh, in the manufacturing all pollution control devices. Ricky, considering the notable rise in green funding across the continent, please rate the efficiency of various renewable energy types you are aware would reinforce climate adaptation efforts effectively and efficiently by 2030. How can youth and women be factored into utilization and sustainable management of indispensable infrastructure. Yes, Derek, solar power is the most abundant renewable resource on the planet. And uh, in spite of this abundance, only 0.04% of the basic power used by humans comes directly from solar sources uh, because uh, using a photovoltaic panel costs more than burning fossil fuels. Um, Organic materials have recently been intensively studied uh, for PV Mm -hmm. applications, not because of harvesting the sun's power more efficiently, but because power generation from organic photovoltaic materials will cost considerably less than other PV uh, technologies. Concentrating uh, solar power uses uh, the heat from uh, the sun to produce steam 
which in turn powers a generator that uh, creates electricity. This also has low um, operating costs and high efficiency and can produce a reliable supply of energy by utilizing uh, thermal storage. Then um, wind power is a very simple process. A wind turbine converts uh, the kinetic energy motion of wind into uh, mechanical energy that is used to generate uh, electricity. The energy is fed uh, through a generator uh -huh. and converted the second time into electrical energy and then fed into the grid to be transmitted to a power station. Like other renewable energy sources, wind energy has many advantages. Uh, it uh, reduces uh, um, green gas emissions by using uh, turbines which uh, produce energy and electricity when moved by the wind and can reduce uh, electricity cost. All the turbines uh, need uh, in order to function is, is wind. Uh, which is just air uh, in uh, a natural motion and air is uh, you know it is everywhere so uh, wind signifies a free abundant and sustainable energy that uh, will not uh, depreciate or uh, you know if we take uh, you know advantage uh, of it then uh, biomass um, Biomass have been uh, used uh, or the biomass energy as you know as long as you know one can uh, imagine. Uh, wood in fact is, is still the largest uh, biomass energy resource today. Yes. But uh, other sources of biomass can also be uh, used uh, which includes you know uh, food crops, uh, grassy and uh, woody plants uh residues from agricultural or forestry oil rich algae and uh, the organic component of uh, municipal and industrial uh, waste even uh, the methane you know fume from uh, landfills uh, can be used as a biomass energy source um, the use of biomass energy has the potential you know to greatly reduce greenhouse gas emissions uh, you know, and uh, the um, the dependence on f foreign oil uh, uh, and landfills. Caro? Now, youth and, and women, of course, should be factored in to all these changes. I don't see that we should, it's not just a man thing, it's, it's a whole population thing. Of course, we need to bring the programs into our schools so that the youth are aware of these benefits that renewable energy can bring you and also how to utilize it. Now they can actually play a role in doing that. It's very simple to, to get involved. There are many job opportunities there, not just for youth, but also for women. These things don't require heavy labor, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. So it's easy to do. But the main thing is we need to change the ways that we live. We need to stop wasting energy. We need to stop wasting food. We need to stop wasting water. Now I do believe that people that are used to living with little water already don't waste. But when I look around me, I still see there's a lot of waste and that is also causing a bit of a problem. So that is some of the things that we can address. Lillian. 
Africa's key sectors are gradually yielding to climate change. Why is mobilizing financing for sectors like agriculture, health and education imperative through the African Development Bank and the Global Center on Adaptation Joint Thrust? What is the role of ICT and digitization in climate adaptation for production, transformation and resilience? The new African Development Bank and uh, Global Center on Adaptation will galvanize uh, $25 billion to scale up African climate adaptation. And this according to African Development Bank President Akiwomi Ayadoji Adesina. These announcements came during the Climate, uh, climate Adaptation Summit 2021, hosted by the Government of Netherlands and the Global Center on Adaptation. This is really expected to scale up innovative and transformative actions on climate adaptation across Africa. I look at it as a very bold ambition, mm-hmm. working to galvanize climate resilience actions and uh, supporting countries to accelerate and scale up climate adaptation and resilience and mobilize financing at scale for uh, climate adaptation in Africa. Of course, acknowledging the huge gaps remaining in uh, financing for adaptation and develop in developing countries. I hope that 2021 will be a year of uh, hate and international ambition and action on climate change after a difficult, uh, after a difficult uh, 2020 yeah, and uh, I would think uh, the African Development Bank and uh, Global Center on Adaptation is a solutions broker to accelerate action and support uh, mm-hmm. support for adaptation solutions around Africa. Digital transformation is increasingly altering all aspects of society. Yeah, offering new ways to produce, consume, and of course, live. It is well established that digitization can contribute to climate change mitigation. And uh, as the effects of climate change increase dramatically, digital technologies can contribute to a more uh, sustainable future. According to the Global E-Sustainability Initiative, I think ICT has the potential to slash global greenhouse gas emissions by 20%. This is by year 2030 through helping companies and consumers to to be more uh, to have a more intelligent use and uh, of course to save energy mm-hmm. ICT generally has the ability to improve efficiency and cut the use of uh, material goods uh, as uh, reducing energy demands and the burden upon the environment solutions such as video conferencing e-learning or integrated point of sale systems can help to lessen the environment load Becoming innovative, yeah, developing and operationalizing an effective sustainability effort requires a radical mind shift altogether for many organizations. Carol? We are going into a world that would be more connected. People will be able to have smart homes so that their cell phone and the internet, etc., uh, etc., et is connected to the various appliances in the home. I can, for instance, use my mobile phone and see how much energy is in the batteries of my car, my electric car, so I know how far can I drive. I can also see how much energy is in the batteries of my home using my cell phone, so I know when I can use the various appliances, I don't have to use them all at the same time. I maybe will use some of them, like my geyser, in the middle of the day where there's surplus solar energy, and I will not put the geyser on at night <clears throat> when there's no solar energy. Mm-hmm. And the same applies to my car, I will charge my car when I have surplus energy. And this 
these things are made possible by having all these appliances, the car and the home and all those things, the batteries connected to each other so that I can make better decisions. So the ICT and the IT and, 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 and uh, digitalization, all these things will provide us with information that will help us to plan our lives and manage our lives better. That's where I see that benefit coming from. Ricky, how crucial are research and development partnerships in problem solving and results orientation for climate adaptation? How can the operationalization of PPPs be assimilated into programs such as African Acceleration Adaptation Program? Very crucial, uh, Derek. Uh, Considering partnering with uh, universities, uh, develop capacities and knowledge transfer uh, in economics of climate change, uh, climate change information services, climate change and disaster risk reduction, and also science-based climate uh, information is the foundation of resilience building, which is a cornerstone of climate change uh, adaptation as well as an oasis for sustainable livelihoods and uh, development. Mm -hmm. Um, Private investments uh, through public-private partnerships route, uh, in fact, offer an innovative mechanism uh, to meet both the goals of infrastructure development and climate change mitigation, uh, you know, into programs such as the African Acceleration Program. So private parties in uh, triple P's, however, focus on the project economics only. Mm-hmm. Though they have the potential to provide innovative uh, technical, financial and managerial solutions, you know, for such programs. Lillian, what do you think? I would say that the climate research and development program strives to advance the understanding of the physical, chemical, and of course the biological components of the earth, uh, earth system, the causes, the consequences of climate and land use change, the vulnerability and resilience of the earth system to such changes. Climate change um, aggravates the effects of population growth, poverty, of course, and rapid urbanization. And without serious adaptation, climate change is likely to push millions further into poverty and limit the opportunities for sustainable development and uh, for people to escape from uh, poverty. Mm-hmm. R&D on climate helps predict how much the rain next winter will bring or how fast sea levels will rise due to warmer sea temperatures. We can also see which regions are most likely to be affected by extreme weather or which wildlife species are threatened by climate change. And yes, doing nothing will end up costing us a lot more than uh, if we take action now that will lead to more jobs, greater prosperity and better lives for all while uh, reducing greenhouse emission gases and uh, of course building uh, climate resilience. We are going to take a quick break and after the break, nature-based solutions, drought-resistant crops and biotechnology, smallholder farmers, water management and the African population. Join us after the break. This is African Insight on Channel Africa DSTV 802. Join me, Derek Mazarura, as we journey through the structure beneath the structure, northeast, west, south, and central Africa 
to find the project, the meaning with the people, for the people. Every Wednesday mornings at 8, regional, national, sub-national. From Morocco's North Africa power transmission corridor to the eco-villages in Togo, among many, all here on African Insight Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Derek, uh, thanks for having me back on your show. Um, so far, so good. Thank you, Derek. It's nice to be on your show, and I hope that we have not lost too many of our listeners. I hope my answers have been okay. Hi, Derek. Thanks so much for um, having me back. It's, it's really great to be on the show. If you're just joining us, we continue with the climate change adaptation issue with Lillian, Ricky, Carol and Jess. Lillian, which sectors in respective African countries can be leveraged for usage for climate adaptation implementation? Given illicit funds and procurement fraud levels in Africa, what can policy reform and efficacious regulation and frameworking do to mitigate such evils? Uh, let me mention that of all the world's continents, Africa is the most vulnerable to the impact of climate change. With so many Africans living close to the poverty line, I think climate change could roll back much of our hard-won progress on development. And this is a key moment for shaping our shared future. We must act now and decisively to save our world a better place for current and future generations. Africa is the most vulnerable continent to global warming. And uh, about 70% of Africans depend on agriculture as a source of uh, livelihood and in turn on rainfall to guarantee agricultural uh, productivity. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, climate change is, is leaving these people with a heavy burden and uh, a very unclear future. The effects of global warming in the form of floods, drought and uh, biodiversity extinction have left many Africans without the basics of uh, of life, including food, water, and housing. Uh, but by boosting climate action on both mitigation and adaptation, I think African government can lessen the burden on climate change on the continent. Ricky, Africa is endowed with a variety of resources to leverage. How can this presently count? Does Africa have the capacity for nature-based solutions? Describe implementable nature-based solutions and why is the youth and the private sector important for such? Yes, Africa sure have. Um, healthy ecosystems underpin whole economies and societies. They provide food and fuel, deliver economic gains, support livelihoods, fight climate change, and even protect against natural disasters. Despite the powerful case for working with nature to reduce climate risk, the world has barely realized the potential of nature-based uh, solutions. However, a few countries are already taking advantage of this potential and seeing uh, the benefits. For example, the Great Green Wall Initiative in West Africa highlights that, uh, you know, 4 million hectares mm -hmm are under restoration in countries like uh, Ethiopia 
and that uh, 11.4 million trees have been planted in Senegal, helping to improve uh, food security, uh, watershed management, and rural development. Uh, mangrove forests such as the one in Senegal can be a critical source, uh, you know, of nature-based uh, solutions. Um, through its nature-based solution uh, action track, uh, the Global Commission on Adaptation is bringing much-needed attention uh, to nature's largely untapped role, uh, you know, in adaptation. Uh, additionally, uh, um, WRI uh, City for Forest Project and the Resilient City Action Track is um, supporting efforts um, to scale uh, investment uh, in trees, forest, and green infrastructure uh, in cities. Also, um, mm -hmm. on home ground, uh, South Africa is uh, promoting uh, the use of uh, ecosystem-based adaptation, uh, EBA, uh, which uh, uses biodiversity and ecosystem services uh, to help people adapt and build uh, re um, resilience um, to the adverse uh, effects of climate change. Um, EBA encourages uh, the use of ecological infrastructure as the uh, a complement or, or a substitute, uh, you know, for uh, built infrastructure. Lillian, incessant skeptical views widely surround biotechnology. Why are biotechnology researches for the discovery of drought-resistant and flood-resistant crops of consequence? How can the role of science, technology, engineering and mathematics be bolstered to decrease the level of imports in Africa. Uh, without a doubt, a workforce with the ability to apply critical thinking, creativity and uh, innovation to create applications that can be commercialized and create jobs is indeed a desire for all uh, countries globally. And uh, concerns have been raised by prominent institutions on Africa's inability to fill most science, technology, engineering and mathematics jobs within uh, industries. The shortage of such workforce is linked to classroom teaching and learning practices that are predominantly geared towards passing examinations and not towards applying knowledge acquired to solve uh, real life problems that are affecting that are affecting societies. You know, mm -hmm. each year in the the United States invests billions in STEM education and workforce development, knowing that over 70% of their domestic and uh, international jobs will require those core skills. Yeah, that is science, technology, engineering, and math mathematics. Meanwhile, Africa does not have a robust strategic plan on STEM policies or even a clear framework for implementing them. It's not even clear if some national leaders understand their importance. The term STEM is not yet widely understood in Africa, I would say. And uh, its implementation in education systems is uh, catastrophically very poor, despite the fact that many ICT ministers collect millions for programs related to these subjects. Mm -hmm. You just need to spend time in the corridors of power to realize that uh, the word STEM is simply a laxative jargon.
that allows ministers to fundraise and make themselves look like they are part of the conversation. In fact, we are nowhere near achieving what needs to be done for our youth, and they are the future of Africa. Ricky, as more holder farmers relevant for food security or for economic growth or for both, how can the pandemic risk be alleviated while making inroads into food insecurity and water scarcity and insecurity? Derek, yes, smallholder farmers are relevant uh, for both because um, smallholder farmers have a vital role to play both because they produce much of the world's food and because they pre- represent a large share of the world's poor and food insecure. The agricultural sector is a vital source of revenue for so many, especially poor households you know, in Africa. Mm-hmm. The pandemic risk can be alleviated you know, through uh, natural and social science data, knowledge and tools will all be essential you know, to address uh, the coming challenges. Solutions also includes improved crop varieties and agricultural technologies. And just as importantly, uh, you know, improvements and adaptations in the social mm-hmm. and economic systems, you know, that essentially link a land to food security outcomes, including governance, incentives, markets, and investments as such. How can water management and conservation be intensified in cases of gross water mismanagement and water pollution and wastage? Any takers? I'm proud to say that Africa can feed itself. The African rural world is one I know really well. I grew up in a rural setup myself and went to a rural school without electricity and, you know, lived in a village where we had to walk four kilometers to find water. We had to study after dark with kerosene lanterns and, uh, you know, by God's grace, we made it. But for tens of millions of those in similar situations, especially in rural Africa, the outcomes may not be like mine. For most, I think the potential has really been wasted. Some like 60% of Africans live in rural areas, and such areas are dependently, mm-hmm. overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly dependent on agriculture and livelihoods. Uh, the key to improving the quality of life in rural areas is therefore to, to be able to transform agriculture. We must invest urgently and heavily in Africa's rural areas and turn from uh, zones of economic misery to zones of economic prosperity and in particular we must create jobs and stable societies in order to disrupt terrorist recruitment campaigns that are taking root in these areas so we must connect economic food and climate security together to have a chance of economic prosperity taking into account the exponential population growth in africa do you see Africa being self-subsistent food security-wise and self-sufficient energy security-wise? How can clean technological revolution in Africa boost regional integration and unity for climate adaptation? Ricky? Derek, yes. Um, look, clean technological revolution can increase uh, resilience measures amongst uh, smallholder producers 
Uh, WRI is focusing on two solutions. Uh, one is um, supporting the demand-driven scale of research and innovation for climate-resilient uh, food systems and developing an investment blueprint for scaling digital advisories to empower 300 million small-scale agricultural producers. Yes. So both solutions focus on scalable uh, technologies that can help smallholder producers maximize productivity while uh, managing increasing climate risk. You know, ways to, imp uh, to improve climate services, you know, includes uh, online platforms, software programs, and modeling systems uh, to support building long-term resilience. In Tanzania and um, Malawi, for example, vulnerable communities are improving agricultural decision-making through analyzing seasonal and sub-seasonal weather forecasts and agricultural um, advice. Yes. It can also accelerate uh, energy transition uh, mechanisms and make it work on a large national and regional scale. Lillian, Ricky, Caro and Jess, thank you for affording us your time and your opinions. Thank you very much. We look forward to a day that uh, some of these very important conversations will be put into action by the, by the relevant people. Derek, thanks for having me on your show. It's been awesome. Thank you, Derek. It was really nice to be on your show and uh, you've asked very good questions. Please do visit our Italy Africa website. That's icle.org. And um, you can go in and, and learn a lot more about all our different projects. We have projects under the mobility theme, under the energy theme, under waste, and of course, under water security, which is so prevalent in many, many African cities. Thanks so much for having me. And um, as I say, please go onto our website and learn more. Thank you. That marks the end of a double on climate change adaptation. We have gathered solutions. It's now time for actions, for they speak louder than mere perspective. Whether you are in the centralmost part of urban Africa or in the extreme rural parts of Africa, you ought to set your hand to the plow for universal change to come to pass. Remembering that this climate was once intact and we can recover it all if we go back into time. The only way of going back into time and recovering originality is going back to the future, which is sticking to the plan. And the future is possible if we hold hands to effect change. Join me again next week same time as we explore the structure beneath the structure right here on African Insights. My name is Derek Mazarura and it's bye for now.